Hello, and welcome back to Kvikminderpod, an Icelandic cinema podcast. I'm Rob Watts, and on this podcast I discuss 21st century Icelandic film with my good friend Ellie Cawthorn. This week we take a look at the debut feature from a director we love, and whose work we've already covered on the pod, Benedict Erlingsson. With Of Horses and Men, or Hross i Oss from 2013, we step back to see how Erlingsson kicked off his career and laid the groundwork for his future films, including Woman at War. Obviously featuring Ingvar, Haldora and a bunch of familiar faces, the real stars of this film are the horses. Who knew Icelandic horses were smaller, could run differently and swim so far? Through a series of vignettes, we see the beauty of the beast and the idiocy of the human play out in a stunning valley setting among a community of horse owners. We're back in the world of dark comedy with this one, and it's a riot. So you made it here in one piece, Ellie. Just about. Yes. I didn't quite get blown away on my way here. No, Storm Franklin kept you on the ground. <laughs> yes. Thank but goodness. I'm very pleased to be inside a nice, warm, cosy living room. Yeah, it's good. It's pretty grim out there. Mm. I don't envy you having to travel for this podcast. But you're here and we're doing a film by a director we've already covered, mm-hmm. Benedict Erlingsson. Uh, this film is of horses and men, of course. Of course. Of course, from 2013. <laughs> This is Benedict Erlingsson, who did Woman at War, which we covered last series, which we both mm-hmm. very really much enjoyed. enjoyed. Uh, and this is his first feature film that came before it. And there's plenty in it that we can see <laughs> later on in Woman at War. Yes. Don't you think? There is plenty in it. I'll put it that way. <laughs> that phrase, a lot. <laughs> there is a lot going on. Yeah. It's interesting you say that it's his first feature film, mm. because... For me, it felt a little bit like lots of short stories, short films yeah. put together into just something bigger rather than perhaps what we might imagine as kind of narrative arc of a normal feature film. Yeah, sure. Well, shall I do a little synopsis? Oh, please do. Sorry, okay. I'm jumping ahead. Well, I say that. I, I went to write a synopsis and then I read a much better synopsis. So I'm going to take the synopsis from... <gasps> The official press notes. Plagiarised. Because it's just, I mean, it's really good. It's a bit longer than my one was going to be, but it, it, I like it a lot. So let's go. An inventive take on the symbiotic relationship between man and animal. Of Horses and Men is a darkly comic collection of vignettes set in a provincial Icelandic village. Against a breathtaking seaside landscape, a cast of hot-blooded characters struggle to connect with <laughs> nature and each other. Among them... A pair of wistful human lovers are thwarted by equine libidos. I'm sorry, but the phrase wistful human lovers really got me. (laughs) I can see why you wanted to read this one. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Um, Where are we? Uh, Among them, a pair of wistful human lovers are thwarted by equine libidos, sparking their tentative courtship into action. A determined alcoholic gets his last ride at sea from a surprisingly seaworthy companion. And an adventurous tourist sets off for a leisurely ride on horseback that spirals into a quest for survival. The lines between species blur seamlessly throughout these memorable tales, reflecting love, death and the quirks of human and beast alike. 
Fair. That is a very good description, to be fair. I mean, if you're going to sell the film, yeah. that's what you would write. And it's interesting, what, what was the phrase they used there? Collection of vignettes. Because mm. I was going to ask you how you would categorise it. I was like, is it an anthology? Not really. Collection of vignettes, I think, is a good description. Yeah, I think so. It's sort of that thing we saw with Echo, where each of the stories is on a theme, but they're not necessarily related. Although here... They do sort all of overlap. About horses. Well, yes, of course, they are all <laughs> about horses. Funny that. Um, but they do overlap. There are yeah. they're all set sort of within the same village. So all the characters know each other. Mm-hmm. And one story may or may not impact the next. And all the characters are quite eccentric. Yes. In a in a rural Icelandic village, I, I imagine ever you sort of have to be a character of some sort. <laughs> yeah. You have to be fairly eccentric and own a great jumper. Yes. Oh, the knitwear. And the oh, our main character, Colbane, played by Ingvar Sigurdsson, mm-hmm. he is the most dapper man we've seen so far, right? Dapper's one way of putting it. He looks like a kind of strange, um, old-fashioned golf player or somebody from <laughs> World War One. Yes, it's that sort of old school kind of upper class mm. tweed Shot, shotgun and a mm-hmm. dead rabbit in one hand yeah you could see him in a field with a pheasant couldn't you <laughs> yeah. um but there aren't any pheasants in iceland i don't think just horses and sheep on the eccentricity front i do feel like this is the most distilled form of all the icelandic eccentricity we've seen so far <laughs> in one film do you agree uh Yes. I mean, it's got everything, hasn't it? It is a dark comedy. Mm-hmm. It's got the nature that we've seen in everything. Although this time, finally, we're seeing the Icelandic horse in all its glory in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In some ways, too much of its glory. Yes. Too much. But what what else did you did you see in this then? Well, for me, it was all really about really memorable moments Mm -hmm. for me as a whole I'm not sure whether it kind of really hung together for me as something really kind of meaningful or profound but I think there were moments in it which were really striking really unusual really strange and shocking sometimes funny sometimes horrible Mm -hmm. and I think that's for me what I would take away from this film certain real real killer moments rather than a whole. Uh, it's interesting because I think it's trying to say something about that human horse relationship and a lot of the sort of reviews and materials that I've read about this film use the term animalistic passions and sort of comparing and contrasting the humans in the story. Are they the beasts? Are the horses the beasts? I mean, I don't know, but certainly uh, there are passions running high Yeah, through human and horse and there's a lot of death as well Mm, actually a lot of which i found harder to stomach than human death we're really used Mm. to seeing a lot of human death on tv and film aren't we but animal death is more upsetting i watched okja last night and oh wow yeah i'm just not good i'm not good with animal death on film well this isn't even the first animal death we've had this series of the podcast I was thinking of um, stuffed dogs, but that was last series. That was the first series. This is oh. our third series, Ellie. Oh, Come God. On. No, we opened with Lamb, of course. Of course. Sorry. So there are quite a few parallels to that film, which we can mm. come to. So we start with Colbane, who's our main character, played by Ingvar Sigurdsson. And he is very happy with his new mare that Mm -hmm. he has trained and has taken perhaps for its first, her first day out, like trip, I guess. Performative gallop. Yeah, so he's, he's obviously spent a lot of time and effort training her apparently in iceland they don't use the term breaking in they train their horses up uh, and so he's set off on this amazing journey to the to his potential love interest's house 
And, you know, he's just showing off, isn't he, to everyone. Mm. He knows they're watching. Can I just say, he was meant to look super impressive or whatever, but he looked very <laughs> large on this horse. Like, was this horse too small for him? Or something about the way that the horse was running in this very kind of camp, joyous... <laughs> like, it wasn't like an, an impressive gallop, was it? It was like a very kind of dressage prance. It's interesting you say that. Did we not talk about horses already on this podcast i've spoken about this to someone anyway so in iceland these horses are sort of purebred they haven't changed in a thousand years mm. so icelandic horses are very pure and as such they have remained smaller than normal horses oh. so it's not that ingvar sigurdsson is absolutely huge <laughs> i was thinking <laughs> it's just that the horse is a bit smaller uh, and often get confused with ponies don't call an Icelandic horse a pony. That's a faux pas. So they're small, but also they're very unique in that they have two extra types of walk or run. What I've do got... you mean they have two extra types? As in, they've been taught two extra types. Or like literally their legs can do like some <laughs> bending away that no well... other horses can. I don't know what you mean. Well, I'm not an animal expert, as I have already said. But what I do know is that they have five gates, whereas most horses have three. So most horses can walk, trot and canter and perhaps gallop as well. I have never seen a horse running in this way that this horse runs. No. Well, <laughs> that's probably because you haven't watched an Icelandic horse run. So they have a thing. They have two extras. So there's the tot, which is I'm going to read this out off off the Internet because I don't know what I'm talking about is a natural fluid gait of the Icelandic horse, during okay. which at least one foot always touches the ground. Ooh, that's like the rules of Olympic walking. Oh, really? One foot always ah, on the ground. Ah, okay. It says the tult is an extraordinarily smooth four-beat gait, which allows the rider an almost bounce-free ride, even at like 20 miles an hour. Ooh, what's the other one? I'll tell you that in just a second. But the key thing about the tult is... And I saw this over Christmas in the UK. There are a bunch of programs doing Christmas specials in Iceland because it was the only place anyone could go <laughs> vaguely Christmassy during lockdown. And there's an experiment with Icelandic horses to see if a rider is riding a horse properly when they're when the horse is at a tilt. I don't know if that's the right way of saying that. The rider shouldn't should be able to carry a pint of beer and not spill and drop at all. I love that somebody came up with that as the test. Isn't it good? Yeah, it is good. I can sort of imagine a Viking, some huge Viking, right <laughs> on the back of his tiny little horse with, with a big... With his horn. With his horn, yeah, exactly. Full of ale or mead or whatever, and just impressing everybody by spilling nothing. <laughs> can you imagine? Far more interesting than watching Bradley Walsh attempt to do it on ITV. Oh, was it Bradley Walsh was given this task? Bradley Walsh and his son had to do it. And then I think I also saw it on George Clark as well. <laughs> what? Yeah. Why? Because why not? It's uh, fun. I mean, I've never ridden a horse, but if I was going to ride a horse, that's, that's the, the kind of test I want to have a go at. And so the second gate is the flying pace. Now, okay. I think we see both of these in this shot of Colbane traveling to Solveig's house. And this is a fast, high-speed gait, mm -hmm. 30 miles an hour, during which both legs on one side of the horse simultaneously touch the ground. I, I think that's the one, that's the one, isn't it? The little prance. I, I, I tried to watch it with this in mind. I couldn't even, I couldn't keep my eyes on the legs. They were too fast. 30 miles an hour, that's how fast they were. I know, blimey. Uh, but it is impressive, I suppose. I never thought I'd be down the rabbit hole of the gates of Icelandic horses, but here we are. So It's fun to learn, hey? Mm. It's fun to learn.
you think that Colbane was impressing Solveig with his horse? Yeah, I think so. Yeah? I think she was impressed. I think it was quite hard to tell whether she wanted him. Oh, I thought she did. You did? She's a horsey woman, right? And this is prime saucy horsey. Well, <laughs> saucy horsey. Wow. That's not going to be the last awful pun <laughs> no. of, the, of, the, of the episode. Uh, but she is a horsey person because she has her black stallion in the mm. field too. And I mean, this first vignette completely sets the tone for the rest of the film, doesn't it? Yeah. It, I mean, it's out there. And also, I came away thinking, I don't really understand what just happened. Do you want to run us through what happened? So Colbane does his little show for Solveig and the neighbours with their binoculars. And then he has some coffee. They have a lovely time with her son, I presume, and her gra- and her mother. And then he gets back on the horse to go home. But the stallion, of course, gets loose. And... You know, I'd I'd seen an image of this scene before I ever saw the film. Mm. But when you see it happen, it's still so weird, isn't it? The stallion mounts the mare while (laughs) Cobain is on (laughs) the horse himself. Yeah. And he has some kind of what I would interpret as a crisis of masculinity. He's so ashamed. So ashamed. And embarrassed that he can't do anything about it. I felt... I did feel really bad for him. Oh, I felt felt like, get over it. They're animals. Just, you know, it's funny. Have a laugh and move on. Well, it's funny for us. <laughs> but he's quite clearly the most straight-laced guy. Mm. He's a horseman. He spent ages trying to make this horse perfect. as perfect as he can. And along comes one other mate and just destroys that perfection, that purity. Oh, but this to me, absolute tox- toxic masculinity. <laughs> oh, I was humiliated. So now I have to kill my horse that I've just finished mm. training. Yeah. It's very, it's classic, incredibly dark Icelandic humour, isn't it? I didn't think it was going to go there. Not that quickly anyway. Because mm. Colbane is clearly just, yeah, embarrassed and ashamed. After that, he lost my sympathy. Did he? That poor, I mean, poor horse. I... She was just trying to do her thing, doing her best run. It wasn't her fault that she got double mounted. <laughs> double mounted. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't her fault. He could have given that horse to anyone, could have done anything with her, but he chose to kill her and it felt, yeah, wrong. It felt mm. very wrong. What was your takeaway from that? <sighs> I, my takeaway was he his idea of perfection had been destroyed and mm. so she had, had to, to be go destroyed as well yeah that's what is that what they call when they kill yeah. horse destroy this oh, animal oh. must be destroyed very sad it's very sad and then we see him bury the horse in like the biggest ever grave and i was quite impressed i have to say with the horse acting in that scene and across mm. the film uh, how do you get a horse to lay that still for that long? Is that a fake horse? A fake horse? This film was made for about three pence. <laughs> I don't think they can afford a fake horse. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you tranquilize it. That would probably count as cruelty against Maybe. animals. Maybe. Uh, there, there was a disclaimer at the end that said no horses had been hurt at Thank all. Thank God. Uh, because and a lot of horses were hurt in the narrative of this story. This is true. It's very true. It's interesting we get that disclaimer at the end and the director has come out and said, it's quite funny, he says, it's important to state that no horses were hurt in the making of this film. It's absolutely true. The entire cast and crew are horse owners and horse lovers. We might as well have been working with our children. <laughs> and I've heard him say, you know, he grew up around horses. Everyone in the film has raised horses, reared horses or ridden horses their entire lives. I think it's just the Icelandic way. It's not a kind of upper class, rich person's Mm, game. Everyone, rural pursuit. Yeah, rural and social pursuit. He then goes on to say, I must admit, however, that there were some human actors that were traumatised during the shooting (laughs) of this film. But I happen to know that they were still alive when this was written. Uh, I can think of one person who might be traumatised. Are you thinking of the tourist? I'm thinking of the tourist and of, of course, Ingvar himself. Yeah. So, well, that, I mean, that scene, I was actually interested. So if they had, as you say, three pens to film this, how did they do the the double mount? Presumably they 
did it for real? Would a horse yeah. do that for real? Yeah, I remember reading about this. So one can only assume that they checked with Ingvar that he would be okay to mm. be on top of a horse that is about to be mounted and have sex. And so there's like a couple of days in a month when a mare gives off the pheromones that Ooh. attract other horses. And they just had to go and hope that it happened. It happened. And it it happened. Oh. And there you go. The, the scene was done. Oh, interesting. Okay. I wonder, I was interested to know how many cameras were on that. It looked like there may be two or three because you see it from a distance. You mm. see it up close. I think there might have been a third camera. They were probably like, we've got one chance, get all the cameras on it. Yeah. What a unique shot. <laughs> I have to say, I've never seen that before. And I probably don't wish to ever see it again. No, I'm I'm pretty good now for, for horse sex <laughs> with humans on top. So that's, I mean, that's the first story we have. And it's very much um, the tragic, the fine line of tragedy and comedy. Mm -hmm. It kind of flips on both sides of that line, doesn't it, this first story? It does, yeah. And it sets up that for the rest of the film. Um, In that vignette, we see, like you said, the Spanish tourist, who I had totally forgotten was in this. And it's quite fun, isn't it? Yeah. he's... uh, so he's a recurring character that we saw in the last film by this, di- well, a more recent film by this director that we've already watched, Woman at War. Yeah. I, it beggars belief why he's still cycling around Iceland in Woman at War after this <laughs> <Yeah>. film. <laughs> I guess he's just a kind of little outsider perspective. Is that... Maybe. I, d- does he have an outsider perspective? He's kind of like the jester, isn't he, a bit? He brings a bit of fun. If we were going to have this as like a commedia dell'arte thing he's a fool he's a bit of a joke character isn't he but although here he gets more of a well that's that's the thing isn't it in woman at war it was kind of just funny to watch him end up in these terrible situations but Mm. i guess it was saying something about the icelandic approach to foreigners but here i mean again maybe that's the same comment that he gets left behind in his tour guide group horse ride tour whatever it is and maybe that's because they don't care. I don't mm. know. But he does seem to just provide a bit more light relief until, well, until he has to cu- kill his horse and sleep inside it. Yeah, that was a really upsetting sequence. I Truly. Thought. I think because you kind of were thinking, is it going to go there? Is mm. that what? That's surely not what's going to happen. No. And then, yeah, we get some kind of full frontal removal of innards and stuff and Mm. just felt very sad for the horse i mean i felt sad for everyone involved in that scene surely he'd been better off just getting back on the horse and keeping riding till he found a house (laughs) in the middle of the of nowhere i don't know i think more people die by doing things like that than what in the remote killing horses and climbing inside them well i guess it worked i mean he was warm and he slept through the night and got rescued so yeah i think it's probably the better option rather than i mean i'm reading as always i'm reading some icelandic crime thrillers and people die in snowstorms all the time because you can't see where you go and you walk in circles you get cold Mm. you die i think he did the right thing even if it's sad to watch horses die it is upsetting isn't it yeah Um, again what was the takeaway from that sequence it was really grisly uh, I guess it's that is it a met is it like a, a visual metaphor? I think maybe this is my slight issue with this film that it's like 
again, that sequence was super arresting and memorable and unique and distinct. But what was it saying? I guess, again, that humans are just animals too. And when it comes to it, you'll you'll do anything to survive. Yeah. Like a horse would, except the horse actually didn't do much really to survive. I don't know what the horse would have done. He would have run off. But yeah, instead he gets a knife in the brain. Mm. That's pretty sad. Poor Gamli Roy the... I think he's deliberately been given the oldest horse Mm. because, I mean, we should talk about that story itself. So the Spanish guy goes for a horse riding tour, sees the very pretty Swedish girl and Mm. sort of falls for her. And I'm pretty sure that the guy who's running the tour fancies her too. So he gives him the old horse to embarrass him. uh, And and the horse is called Old Red. (laughs) Old Red. Old Red. Yeah, poor Old Red. I mean, that's what you would expect to say, isn't it? Yeah. Poor Old Old Red. Red. Who's so slow that, yeah, he gets left behind. I mean, it's just pretty grim. Yeah. But again, incredibly striking when we have, like, the white snow, Mm -hmm. the red blood all kind of seeping out. It's It's a visually striking image, isn't it? And, I mean, the whole film looks, again, Mm. stunning. Uh it's a lot of the same team who made Woman at War, actually. The same, obviously, same director who wrote and directed it. And then the cinematography by Bergstein Björgulfsson, who obviously did Woman at War. And the music by David Thior Jonsson, who is quite recognisable, actually, mm-hmm. when you hear the two soundtracks back to back. You've got those drums, got the accordion. It just It's a very similar style. The soundtrack's brilliant. I have to say, and and the cinematography. I mean, the whole production of this is flawless, isn't it? It is. It's it's just a stunning looking film, no matter what is going on in the frame. <laughs> yeah. You know. I particularly liked how each story began with a close-up of the horses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Often the eye of the horse with the human passing across it, which is reminiscent of lamb. Mm. Shout out to one of the most beautiful horse eyes as well. The the brown horse with the blue eyes. Mm. Do you think they're genuine eyes? Or have they, you know, photoshopped that horse's eyes to look so incredible? I mean, you can do things to enhance colours, maybe, but I imagine it's the horse's eyes. I don't know why you would mm. change it, especially since this is a film about horses. You know, I don't think they needed to do anything to make the horses seem any more, you know, amazing. Mm. Talking of amazing horses, I mean, they're all beautiful, in, aren't they? But I was completely flabbergasted by the second vignette. The one <laughs> with the alcoholic... <laughs> Yes. Okay. Yeah. I also was amazed by this. So I think we need to explain it. So basically this alcoholic guy, he sees a a Russian, I think it is, boat, Mm. um, and basically jumps on a horse, makes the horse swim, not just across a little river, across the sea, the ocean. (laughs) The horse just swims them across the sea. They kind of dock at this boat on the side of the boat. Um, he just goes up, gets some um, what he hopes is vodka. Yeah. Turns out not quite to be. And then back on the horse, swim back. I what? really didn't know horses could swim that well, like I in that deep water. Absolutely not. I had no idea. And why was it willing to? Well... Why isn't it just like, go get your own vodka? Because the sugar cubes? I don't know. <laughs> he He gives him the sugar, gets on his back and just takes him off. I assume that... That's the horses just do what you want. The more we talk about the film, the more I'm like, oh God, this film is dark. So he thinks he gets vodka. It turns out he's got some kind of like unmethylated spirits or something. Yeah, I think the the translation stuff kind of gets lost, doesn't it? And yeah. he thinks he's getting alcohol, which he is. It's but just not. Undrinkable poison. Like they alcohol. keep saying, mix it with something, mix it. Mm. And he just drinks it, like necking it as well. 
Ugh. necking pure like ethanol or something and then dies so yeah. another death to add to the toll yeah so we've talked about two horse deaths and this is the this is the first human death mm. and it, i guess it is it's a funny funny death in a way <laughs> yeah. i think like it's so hard that line is so hard yeah. to tell like it's an it's such a visually striking image watching him ride that horse through the water like it looks like it's struggling mm. um but I was scared it... that it was going to be another horse death in this yeah, one and it was going to drown. Ooh, I'm glad that didn't happen. Yeah, he he dies and sort of kicks off a whole bunch of human deaths as well. Mm. Should we talk about the next story? So the next story, we have another grisly incident involving barbed wire to mm. the eyes, oh, which God, is not what anybody wants. Pure horror movie stuff, that. Yes, absolutely. Being out on a mountain and having your eyes basically slashed by barbed wire isn't oh my good. God. No. So this is the story of Grimmer who has his two horses and he's riding around and he comes across fences that have been put up by Egil, the farmer, who we see at the start with the red tractor. And he's like, stop putting up fences across the footpaths and bridleways that, you know, he's obviously always ridden. Public access. Yeah, it's like, fair enough. I, I don't know why he would need to put up fences, to be honest. It's not like stop. Britain where... To stop um, his cattle and his horses getting out. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Easy answer to that one. Although I have to say, what we see at the end is that all the horses have been out in the wild for the whole of the summer. So it's not it. like they need to be contained, but maybe for the winter, you're probably right. But yeah, he goes around cutting the barbed wire of these fences. And like, it's, it reminded me of Woman at War as well, mm. when she cuts herself on the pylon cable, which is Ooh. pretty nasty. Uh, this is just as gnarly. He gets it right across the eyes. It's bad. It's bad luck, isn't it? That the one bit it falls on is like literally the, his exact eye line. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't even imagine just it whipping across your face. Like It would be bad enough if it tore up your cheek or something. But, but that whole scene is so well put together, isn't it? Because you see where he is, where he takes a wee over the cliff and you've got this shot from the bottom. You're like... He's not just weeing over the cliff for a reason, for for no reason. We're mm. seeing it, and then the farmer Egil chases him down. Yeah, and it's so funny. It's, like, <laughs> it's actually shot. It's reminded me of Postman Pat in a way yeah. when he's just driving around the the countryside. And he drives right off the edge of the cliff, doesn't he? And <laughs> that that again is quite funny. Somehow. It is, yeah. Just watching a tractor topple over a over a cliff. That's him. Another human death. He's gone. <laughs> <laughs> And we shouldn't laugh, but we are. We've laughed mm. a lot of death over the course of three series of this podcast. But what's what's funny again is that, so we have now have two widows who then are like, oh, maybe we should go after Colbane. <laughs> yeah. And you see all these looks at the two, you see two two funerals and they're both like, hmm, he's a, he's a bachelor. And then Solvig is like, okay, well, maybe I should uh, make a move. And it's just hilarious. Yeah. One of those widows is... From Woman at War. Yeah. She is our main woman. She is. She's... Our main woman at war. <laughs> she is our main woman at war. Hatler, is it? Yes, it is. Hattler, um, I think now you say it. Uh, played by Haldora Gehastatir, who we've seen quite a few times. Oh, yeah. Um, in this film, though, curiously, she's playing Ausa. Ausa was the twin sister of Hatler. In Woman at War. What does that mean? What you mean, why they've chosen to have the same name? Do you think that maybe after Alsa's husband died, she was like, right, well, I haven't got Colbane to fall back on. Maybe I'll move to the city, become a yogi, do a load of meditation, and then re-sparked her relationship with her sister? She's quite a different character, though. But now you're thinking because we've had the Spanish tourist in both films. I just want there to be a Benedict Erlingson cinematic universe. (laughs) (laughs) To rival Marvel. 
Yeah, quite. <laughs> and it's just the Spanish tourists and Haldora. I think I'm going to lean on the side of it's a coincidence. Oh, come on. There are so many names. Mm, yeah. I it's, just think it's, it's a different character. It's a very different character. But maybe but that just sparked a change. she's the kind of woman change. that would live in a remote horse-rearing town, I guess. Well, and then... by the end of Woman at War, she's chosen to live her life inside a prison solo. <laughs> yeah. So she's used to the isolation, I guess. Okay. Okay, I'll entertain you. It's a theory. compelling argument, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you say so. <laughs> anyway, it's nice to see her. Uh, and just got the, got the brain whirring a little bit. I'm curious to see Benedict Erlingson's more recent films mm. to see how much he brings over from the previous two, whether he changes his style up or whether he includes the same characters or, or you know, whatever. Well, there definitely does seem to be a kind of similar cinematic sensibility between the two mm. of his that we've watched in terms of it's this, I guess this one isn't mag- magical realism, but it's it's very... It's not. Re- it's not meant to be realistic, is it? No, it's I guess it's of, sort of magical realist yeah. or just ultra real, maybe. Ultra real? Is that I don't know what phrase? ultra real is. I know, it's like set within... So it's the real... I guess it is kind of ma- magical realism, yeah. But it's. I guess that it's, yeah, it's the real world, but things go into fantastical territories that... I mean, all of these things could happen, but they wouldn't all happen to the same town, <laughs> would they? No, that's exactly it. Yeah, everything's and, heightened. Yeah, it's got a kind of almost fable-like quality to it mm-hmm. or a story. It feels like a story rather than a just accurate depiction of reality, which I, you know, is a interesting style. And I think, I think for me works feels more fully formed in Woman at War than it does here. Which makes sense mm, for makes a sense. director in his second feature. Mm. Um, and it's very easy to build on individual vignettes as you go through a film, but then to take them all and those ideas and those themes and expand it into a full feature, I think it's just it's quite remarkable, really. There is no band featured within yeah. the film this time. It'd be nice if there was. But again, he, he doesn't want to just... I feel like if he brought over all those elements, it'd be more like if he was a theatre director or something. You know, that... Well, it's funny you should say that. Is he a theatre director? <laughs> yeah. And an actor, yeah. I can't, you can tell. Okay, that's really interesting that you picked up on that. That he has these little devices, uh, especially in by Woman at War. Mm. Um, like the the band that accompanies the action throughout the film is a very theatrical device, I think. And here we have these kind of larger than life eccentric characters, which I think you know it's a it's kind of kind of ensemble feel, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Uh, and it all comes together at the end, of course, which we'll mm-hmm. come to. But before we get there, we should talk about the other story or two that we have, including the Swedish girl Johanna. Mm-hmm. who sort of ties a bunch of the stories together, really. Because she's the guy that, obviously, as we said, Juan, which is the name of the Spanish guy, he falls for. But she's also in the middle of her own kind of story where she's desperate to get this one mare for herself. And also, I guess it seems like she's trying to prove herself to all the old yeah. white male farmers who, who are like just snorting tobacco which is absolutely mm. gross. Uh, and sort of just laughing at her to an extent and they just let her go off and assume that she'll fail. Mm. 
but she goes off and does some quite remarkable things. Uh, she's almost like the, she's the hero of the tale in the way, isn't she? Yeah. She manages to round up all the horses, rescue the guy who's been slashed across the eyes, uh-huh. tie them all together and bring them all home. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, that shot of her with the seven horses with Grimmer yeah. on the back of one, it's amazing. Yeah. And she is just, yeah, brilliant. I think Johanna is, like you said, the hero is quite a good word. Mm. Uh, the hero on horseback. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All the vignettes come together almost for the final shot or the final scene, which is the roundup of the horses. Mm. So to put it into context, the horses have been out in the wild, roaming wherever in the Icelandic landscape, the amazing, stunning, beautiful, all the adjectives you can think of, landscape for a few months now. They're all, I mean, they're not wild horses. They belong to farmers. And so in late September, early October, as we see in the film, the horse owners ride out to collect them all and bring them back and then sort them out and, you know, take them back up to their farms for the winter. Uh, And that's kind of the setup for the end of the film, isn't it? Mm. I guess what it allows is you have all these different characters that we've seen in their own little kind of vignettes and stories. And it brings them all together, doesn't it? And has Mm -hmm. a sense of this whole community focusing on the horses. And there's a lot of horses. Yeah. I've never seen that many horses in one shot, one place. I thought it was quite a joyous ending, actually. It had um, Mm -hmm. the music, which again, like you say, is really distinctive, but had this kind of sense of energy and um, life and vibrancy. Totally. All connected to the horses and the community around them. It felt triumphant. That's the word I wrote. I think it it really does. Especially because the human characters and the human stories sort of reach a point of positivity by that point. All the deaths and fallings are over. The widows seem less happy than everyone else, but they're still enjoying the roundup. But our main two love interests, Colbane and Solveig, we see them them sharing... How are you going to phrase this? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, we see them sharing a drop of alcohol on horseback first with the widows in tow, you know, commenting and being snarky. And then this was the second pun that I've had in my head the whole time. We see them go to the nookie. No! (laughs) No! We see them go to the nook for nookie. (laughs) <laughs> no, I thought you were going to do a pun about horseplay or something. Horseplay? I mean, do you want to... Heavy petting? <gasps> That's I just came good, up with these. heavy petting. I just came up with these in the spur of the moment. Ellie, you're an absolute joker. I mean. <laughs> um, but yeah, Colbane and Solveig, they get together in front of the horses. In another quite comedic scene, really. You know, That's pretty funny. Um, taking off cagoules and all that malarkey. I mean, it's... It's one of the least sexy sex scenes I've seen in a while. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, it's just, I think it's so funny that they're there. We, like, we'll, we can do it here. No one will see us except for the horses. And in front of the black stallion who's had his balls removed. Oh, poor a, guy. It's really thought, rubbing it in there. Rubbing it in. Is that another <laughs> pun? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, and all the guys watching with their binoculars, they come back out and they're all, you know, nothing's a secret in this village. Um, I love that the script of this film, when you just read it on the page, must have sounded so bizarre. I mean, it's quite bizarre when it's put into a film, but just written on paper must have been even more so. Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine. And now the couple have sex in front of seven horses and the rest of the village all watching through binoculars. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's very odd, uh, very odd. 
but it's a kind of positive it's a it's a positive scene yeah. it's, a, it's a happy scene i guess um before we get to the the sort of final stage of all the horses back in the roundup and Colbane gets a new white horse what i didn't know is whether more horses have just appeared over the summer when do do horses have like a season that they mate and I would presume birth? it's spring. Like every other animal. Yeah. So do you think that the horse that Colbane gets at the end, the white one, to replace his dearly departed mare, is a foal? I think so, yeah. Or at least a young horse. I guess the idea is that it's a new beginning. He's going to train up this foal. Mm-hmm. And um, it'll be a fresh start. So we've had five or six separate stories all come together towards the end. And, you know, like we said, it feels triumphant. It feels positive. It feels like a fresh start. And what more could you want? Really, this is a it's a distinctively Icelandic film, isn't it? Yeah, it's deadpan. It's darkly comic. It deals with death. It's set in rural Iceland, which most of the films we looked at are. And the horses, which I've been desperate to cover for so long. They're here. They're front and centre. And despite the fact that we're not 100 percent sure what the film is trying to say about the relationship between man and horse, it's uh, it's a good fun watch. I have to say it wasn't my favourite of the films we have watched. But I would just, again, say as a whole, it didn't quite sell it for me. But individual moments and the look of the film and the feel of the film and the sound of the film were really stunning. And I enjoyed delving into some humour that was so black. It was, you know, it was (laughs) possibly tragedy. Amazing. Any other thoughts um, about this film, about how it compares to any of the films we've covered or, you know, just generally? Um, well, I did think right at the start that we were going to have a kind of horse whisperer type situation. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, you know, when we saw um, Ingvar training his most beloved mare, mm. that had that vibe to me but quite quickly we went into very (laughs) strange absurdist territory yes so it's not the horse whisperer or black beauty (laughs) Uh, it has much more in common with things like under the tree which Mm. spirals out of control it even has that neighbor dispute thing which we have between grimmer and egil and ultimately results in death um i thought there was so much not necessarily similar to lamb but there's a lot mm. of uh, comparisons that could be made i really liked the eyes that we talked about we see a lot mm. of eyes we see ingvar in an eye we may have seen ingvar in an eye in lamb oh yeah we're still yet to uh, have confirmation on that but i really like this focus on the animals and the roundup of the horses reminded me of rams when they're mm. rounding up all the sheep to get them in the basement and then to take them all the way over the the mountains. It's just the kind of imagery that it's just it feels very Icelandic. I haven't seen films from any other country that that feel very much like that, I guess. Mm. My horse whisperer comparison sounds quite dumb now. <laughs> <laughs> So there you go. Benedict Erlingson featured for the second time. Ingvar featured for God knows how many times <laughs> now. Count, most countless times. Yeah, uh, but he will reappear next week. <gasps> Back so soon. So soon, I know. I told you this is a series almost dedicated to Ingvar Sigurdsson. <laughs> uh, next week is a film called Metalhead. And what is Metalhead about? Well, actually, this is one of the few films I haven't previously watched ahead of time. So... I can't tell you. All I know is that the poster image is of someone in black and white kiss style makeup. Oh, yes. Okay, I'm already excited. Okay, I don't think it's a comedy though. Oh, even stranger. 
Well, I can't wait. Great. Well, I'll see you there. See you then. And there we go! We finally covered a film that shows the Icelandic horse in all its glory. The humans, on the other hand, less so. Perhaps Vernharder should have just popped into the city and had a word with Christopher from Reykjavik, Rotterdam. Anyway, Of Horses and Men is another winner from Benedict Erlingsson, and I'm sure we'll be discussing him again soon. But coming up next week is Metalhead from director Rauner Bragason, which is currently available to rent on Pantaflix, to buy on the Sky Store, or to stream for free on YouTube and I'll put the link in the show notes as well as on our social media channels. Yep, you can follow, chat with, and support us on Twitter, Instagram, and Ko-fi, at Kvikmindapod. That's K-V-I-K-M-Y-N-D-A-P-O-D. If you could leave us a nice review at Apple and give us a rating on Spotify, that would be awesome. See you next week. Tak, bless. Thanks and goodbye.